0: This is not the media Uh, Pre-Henry Rollins This is hell
1: When they were a lot better When they were doing stuff like TV Party When I actually liked that band before Henry Rollins screwed it up Today we are announcing that President Donald J. Trump, the incumbent Who is running for his second term in office This November against the Democratic Party challenger Joe, I have no idea What his middle initial is And would rather tell you that Than actually look it up Biden, that President Trump will win the election, defeating the former vice president, leading to four more years of Trump Twitter trolling aghast liberals and gaslighting the rest of us. I know it sucks, but as our guest argues, it's not your fault. You can't help it. It's the uh, Supreme Court decided that purging voter rolls in order to suppress voting by people of color is... A-OK with them. Yep, the vote's being stolen again, and if we're talking about a vote being stolen, then you can bet we are having the return of investigative reporter Greg Palast, who is author of the new book. Alex, having some issues over there. No idea how that happened. <laughs> how Trump Stole 2020, the Hunt for America's Vanished Voters. Greg broke the story of how George Bush stole Florida in 2000 by purging thousands of innocent black voters. And this is how it was the first U.S. media outlet to discuss that story with Greg. He is co-author of Democracy and Regulation, published by the United Nations International Labor Organization, based on Greg's lectures at Cambridge University's Department of Applied Economics and the University of Sao Paulo. He's the winner of the Global Editor's Award for Data Journalism, was named patron of the Philosophical Society of Trinity College, previously awarded to people like Oscar Wilde and Jonathan Swift, and the Association of Mexican Reporters International Reporter of the Year. Today, you can join Greg live on Facebook at 3 p.m. Chicago time. No, sorry, 6 p.m. Chicago time. 6 p.m. Chicago time for the launch of How Trump Stole 2020. The event will feature a discussion with Greg Amy Goodman and past This Is Hell guest Noam Chomsky. Special guest Latasha Brown of Black Voters Matter will be joining them. And, of course, we'll wrap up this week, as we do most weeks, with a moment of truth from contributor Jeff Dorchin. This week, Jeff examines the accident site of a collision of two hashtags. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap-toothed radio show podcast live streaming host, Chuck Mertz. Producing this week's show is Alex Jerry. Alex, any plans for the weekend?
0: Uh, things aren't going great over here, man. Uh, got so bad, I looked up the other day how long Casey Anthony made it with her kid.
1: <laughs> oh, and now you know how to drive, so that's
0: very dangerous, and there's a river was, I got too much, I got too much stuff in my <laughs> trunk right now. Um, Joseph Biden's middle name is, I don't know why I call him Joseph Biden, that's weird. <laughs> I don't know, that was Joe- weird, but you knew our times all of a sudden? <laughs> well, I was just reading that because uh, his middle initials are... What's it stand for? Robinette. At
1: least we know he doesn't come from money, right? Because that's (laughs) certainly not a name you get from money. Uh, Immediately following the show today, uh, I'm going to be lugging an air conditioner unit from the basement of our three flat and then up to our third floor apartment. I'll be doing it with my left arm, which is weaker than my right arm because my right arm is so screwed up I can't pick up anything with my right arm which all means my left arm will be likely killing me all weekend on top of that me and my girlie have finally mustered the courage to cut my hair so this weekend likely a nightmare unless because my girlie's at the office today i decide to trip which sounds like a really good idea this week's question from Elle is, what is next week's PSYOP? What is next week's PSYOP? And for those not in the know, a PSYOP, or PSYOPs, are overt and covert operations, both tactical and strategic, intended to make a target audience have a planned psychological response, you know, like digging wells or building schools in Afghanistan and Iraq, meant to win the hearts and minds of the local as we are winning points with citizens back home who may be questioning why the U.S. is at war. The person with our favorite answer to this week's question mail hell wins a This Is Hell medical face mask. Get your This Is Hell face mask today by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support, or be the person with our favorite answer to this week's question from hell. You can leave your answer to this week's question mail at our Facebook page, you can tweet it to us, you can email it to us, but we have to have your answer by the end of today's show when we are announcing this week's winner. Alex, how have listeners answered the question mail since
0: yesterday's show? What is ne- what is next week's psyop? Sci- what is next week's psyop? Sci- Joshua L says, "Not sure yet. Think it might be another pizza place." <laughs> Waiting on the next release from Q. Christian R says, "What the f does that sink want now?" We're referring to uh, a sinister gif of somebody opening their front door and there being a sink in the middle. <laughs> I didn't really get that, but I thought found, found it funny. Uh, Clarence S says, "Why do the Illuminati always leave clues?" <laughs> Dan K says, "Joe Biden is the Democratic nominee for president." <laughs> Jeffy D. says, Toilets inexorably falling out of windows and narrowly missing members of the Chicago Board of Trade. I thought that sink had something to do with the toilet. John T. says, Same as this week, Lightfoot versus Chicago Police. (laughs) Anthony S. says, Next week's PSYOP is the killing of killing fields as pre-Naked Gun series conditioning. (laughs) And finally, Xavier W. says, It's spaghetti. Oh, uh, I can help you if we get out of here by 11. Well, we're not going to get here by 11. If we get out of here by 11.05, I can go help you with that air conditioner.
1: Oh, okay. I appreciate it, but I don't understand how much motivated I'll be. Hey, did you see that Micah Utrecht was uh, from In These Times and uh, Jacobin? He was walking down Milwaukee Avenue, and he saw Mayor Lightfoot in, like, you know, El fresco dining on the sidewalk, outdoor dining with somebody. And he walked by her, and he said to her, defund the police. And she didn't even look up and said, not going to happen. <sighs> She's such progressive. Not only can you email, message, or DM us your answers to this week's question from hell But you can also send us your thoughts, comments, your criticism Both constructive and destructive Guest or topic suggestions or your thoughts on a recent interview And if you do, we will likely read your thoughts out loud on air Like this email we got from Joe Joe writes with a guest suggestion And our listeners have the best guest suggestions Joe says, hey Chuck I'm ready to recommend David Broder The European editor of Jacobin Magazine Who just wrote the book First they took Rome from Verso Books About the crisis of Italian politics and society I'm halfway through it and really enjoying it so far Cheers, Joe Thank you, Joe, for the heads up David has been on the show twice in the past In 2016 and 2018 And we're planning on having him back On the show when his new book is released. Again, you can hear our interviews with David by going to thisishell.com and searching on Broder. Due to the global pandemic, though, uh, publishers' publication dates have been in complete upheaval. If you can't send books out, if bookstores aren't open, if people are afraid to have books delivered, despite the promise of digital and e-books, nobody wants to publish at a time when it Could harm their sales Especially if their book Is not about the virus Or the uprising It's kind of hard To get any media coverage Necessary to promote your work However this week Publishers started putting out All the writing That had backlogged And the floodgates have opened So tons of new books Are being published right now And that apparently includes David's new book Which was very much On our radar pre-virus So thanks again Joe And as so many works Are being published right now If anyone sees anything Any book that we may have missed, we may have overlooked A past guest's book, new book that we may have overlooked Because of the deluge of new writings suddenly being released Do not hesitate in suggesting a book that you think we may already know about Because it is very likely it may slip past us with so many really good authors Including many past guests like David and people like Mike Davis Putting out their delayed new books Finally Steven sent us a video via Facebook. Steven writes this video pairs an interview from This Is Hell with imagery from the Upper Delaware Valley. Check it out. The interview is the one we did in 2017 with economist Kate Raworth, author of Donut Economics, Seven Ways to Think Like a 21st Century Economist, which was a fascinating book and topic. She explained how neoliberalism captured 20th century economics and theory and practice and how a new generation of students and thinkers are challenging that premise economic man's grip on the field and building a new framework to understand and address the mounting problems of the 21st century. That's what she was on to talk about. At least that's what Alex's write-up says at our website. So I assume that's true. But you got to check out that video of the Upper Delaware Valley while I'm interviewing Kate Raworth. Philip also sent us a message. I shared it on Facebook today, by the way, on my own Facebook account. So If you are a friend of mine on Facebook, you can see it there. Philip also sent us a message via Facebook stating, Stuart Lee is incredible, and you should find a way to involve him on your show if you can. And we also got an email from Jeff Dorchin, who will be giving us a moment of truth later today. Jeff wrote, I've sent you this YouTube link before, but you seem to have forgotten who Stuart Lee is, so here's your reminder. And yes, I have completely forgotten who the hell Stuart Lee is, but apparently... I was told in the past, Lee seems to be a stand-up comedian who's a former radio co-host in England, and now I guess I have to watch this link Jeff sent because I supposedly already know about it. Damn. Drugs are a powerful drug. Finally, Jeff got an email this week from Wiley and he forwarded it to us. Wiley asks, would you be open to taking a look at this recently released book and see if Chuck might want to interview the author Fred Wilcox on This Is Hell? The book Wiley suggests is Shamrocks and Oil Slicks, A People's Uprising Against Shell Oil in County Mayo. Ireland. Wiley adds Fred was the first person to investigate the impact of Agent Orange on vets returning from Vietnam. He's been a political activist for decades. He's a friend of Noam Chomsky. Boy, if I say Noam Chomsky one more time on this show, I'm going to have to say it like two more times. Fred and I met and uh, became friends, Wiley says, of a sort when I was at Cornell a few years back. He just came out with this new book and is doing some self-promotion, so I offered to see if I could connect him with like-minded media outlets. I think This Is Hell would be a perfect venue, hoping all is well-ish in your world, given the travesty in which we are living and the tyranny of theocrats, sycophants, and narcissists in power. Wiley. Thanks, Wiley. Irish people beating up on an oil company? That sounds good to me, and I've forwarded the suggestion unto Alex. You can email us, direct message us, connect with us via Messenger, Facebook Messenger, and if you do, we'll likely read your thoughts on air sharing them with our listening audience. We also want to thank Brian, who gave us five stars on Facebook and said in his review, This Is Hell is the best interview show in all of Hades. Thanks for five stars also goes out to Michael, who says This Is Hell has been offering amazing long-form leftist interviews for 20-plus years. And while I may have read this comment, this following comment before in English, I know I didn't read it in its original Dutch. So thanks to Stan for five stars and your comment, the presentator Chuck Mertz is the best interviewer the ik als oder radio ken. Dankustan, and if you review this is hell on Facebook or anywhere, we'll read your comments during the show coming up on this is hell. Are you psychically preparing yourself for President Trump's second term? Because our guest thinks you should. We'll tell you what's happening on tomorrow's Patreon podcast. Here's a little teaser. It's going to be Greg Pellis' first interview that we ever did on This Is Hell. Exclusively for subscribers at patreon.com slash Hell. We'll have more of your answers to this week's question mail, which is, what is next week's PSYOP? What is next week's PSYOP? And we'll be announcing our favorite and the winner of a This Is Hell medical face mask, which are suddenly back in style. Who knew? Oh, yeah. Everybody. During the moment of truth with Jeff Dorchin, Jeff examines the accident site of a collision of two hashtags. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap-toothed radio show podcast live stream host, Chuck Mertz. Producing is Alex Jerry. You are listening to God's favorite radio show. Prove me wrong. This is hell. Our next guest told us only days prior to Election Day 2016 that Donald Trump... Would win the election, and today we are very unhappy to announce that he thinks Trump is going to win again in November. But we are very happy to have back on our show investigative journalist Greg Palast, is author of the new book How Trump Stole 2020: The Hunt for America's Vanished Voters. Welcome back to This Is Hell, Greg.
2: Glad to be in hell. Um, <laughs> glad to be with you again, Chuck.
1: I got a few things I got to. add. Well, first of all, you are today. Greg is launching his book on Facebook Live at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, that's 6 p.m. here in Chicago, for the launch of How Trump Stole 2020. The event will feature a discussion with Greg, Amy Goodman, Noam Chomsky, special guest Latasha Brown uh, of Black Votes Matters. will also be joining to explain how the racially poisonous vote-stealing schemes exposed in Greg's book have a devastating effect on communities of color. And then you list this event as presented by Rainbow Push, Project Censored, blah, 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 blah. And at the very end, it says, And Kurtwood Smith. Isn't that the dad from uh, that '70s show? <laughs> it beats me. <laughs> what the uh, hell? What the hell is his name doing at the I, end there?
2: I, 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 I'm laughing. I'm enjoying it. Well, uh, what else endorsement? You've got Noam, Noam Chomsky and Amy Goodman. I mean, we needed a star. Okay, so I'm just, uh, you know, celebrity power. That's what I needed. Uh, and and by the way, I want to correct something. Sure. How dare you say I've predicted that Trump will win the election. The book is called How Trump Stole 2020. Ah, <laughs> good in the point. It's uh. tense, okay? He's already stolen the, the election. But we can, and I kid you not, we can steal it back. That is, bust the burglary. I didn't write a book, How Trump Stole 2020, because it's like, forget it, horses in the wagon, <laughs> it's downhill from here. You know, just forget about it. I, the only reason to bother writing a book is to warn you so that you can unsteal it. And you know, this is uh, so yeah, so this is, <laughs> this is a big issue. And um, yeah, I just want to tell you, I don't have crystal balls. Is the answer. <laughs> I, I just, I just have um, uh, the information about how he stole it, how he can, and how we can get it back. We might, you know what, my idea this time is that unlike 16, I think this time the voters should pick the president. What do you say?
1: That sounds like an interesting idea. But let's start with a fear I shared on social media back in early February when the coronavirus outbreak was just making landfall here in the States from both China and Mm -hmm. Europe. And that is President Trump will use the virus to declare some sort of health emergency, some state of emergency or exception to either delay or completely cancel this year's election. I'm not the only one who suggested this. I got to admit, I was half joking. So how difficult would it be for any president to postpone delay or even go so far as putting off an election for an extended period of time? Have you heard this uh, worry and are you that concerned about it
2: oh yeah i'm talking to some top uh voting rights lawyers constitutional lawyers in america and uh and the statistical evidence. yeah okay it yeah he can well like i say he's stolen it we can steal it back but the thing is it's not about the Lang the election or calling it off he doesn't have to understand that what's going to happen is with the mail-in voting and by the way in how trump stole 2020 i have a special extra chapter uh... the corona alert um, the virus called the virus votes for trump and, and mail-in madness now it's the most misunderstood chapter in my book i've gotten all kinds of hell from it if you don't mind me uh, misusing your your trademark <laughs> um, and uh... which is people think that i'm against mail-in voting no wake up you either mail in your ballot or you die i think it's a pretty simple choice um, or some people will die. Uh, so, but there is a problem with mail-in voting, Chuck, which is you can't just lick and pick. Okay, that's why I wrote this special chapter in the book. Twenty-two percent—that's one in five mail-in ballots are never counted. That's not according to Greg Palace from my heli- black helicopter, where I usually get my info. Right? That's what people say. I got that from the MIT Caltech years of exhaustive studies of mail-in ballots, which I've been investigating for years. Mail-in ballots, look, you've got a Jim Crow alligator in those mailboxes. They don't get counted. One in five. One in five is not small, okay? We lost three million mail-in ballots in the last election in 2016. And by the way, in, in, those, uh, in the post office is Hillary Clinton's presidency, just so you know. So they can do that again. Um, so one in five ballots isn't counted, but we can overcome that. We can stop that steal. Uh, if you're listening in Wisconsin, by the way, you have to have a witness signature on your mail-in ballot, and if you're a student voting for the first time, you have to mail in your student ID. No, no, not the student ID they gave you. you got to go to your dean of students' office, get a new ID. Okay? And of course, the dean of students' office is closed because of the virus, but hey, there are 182,000 students. We're going to have a hell of a time trying to vote. Then you send in the photocopy of your ID plus. Ready, Chuck? you got to send in proof that you are a registered student in good standing. You put that in the envelope. Now you got two, three extra pages in the envelope, and guess what? You just lost your vote anyway. You didn't put on the extra stamp, Chuck. You went over an ounce, 100,000 ballots were disqualified for postage due in 2016. Again, this is from the Elections Assistance Commission of the United States government. 100,000 ballots lost to postage due, not just anyone's ballot. We have a major issue in America, Chuck, of not counting ballots, right? And what that means is we had... 3 million, well, about a million mail-in ballots disqualified after they were mailed in, again, according to the government. 1.9 million ballots, almost 2 million, cast in precincts which were disqualified for technical cockamamie reasons. Whose ballots? According to a Civil Rights Commission, which studied this carefully, if you're African American, you are 900% more likely to have your vote disqualified than if you are white, so in that dumpster was um, um, Hillary Clinton's presidency, whether you believe she should be president or not. My only view is that the, the voters and should pick the president. And when I say the presidency, I don't mean the popular vote. Uh, if you counted all the ballots that were thrown away, um, she'd have won the Electoral College. And if you count, of course, the big thing is the removal of voters.
1: So why would Trump be against mail-in voting? It would seem like being against mail-in voting would go against his wishes.
2: Now, see, there's the problem. Okay. You're not listening to our president. Agent Orange may be, okay, so he has an advantage that you don't have. He's a psychotic narcissist, right? So um, So you have to pay very careful attention to his words. He said if the Democrats get their way and sh- make mail-in voting easier, no Republican will get elected. He is correct. The key is making mail-in voting easy. He's not against mail-in voting, he's against making it accessible, workable, and democratic, and I mean in the small D sense. If people So what happens is I just told you one in 5 votes gets thrown in the garbage, mostly African American votes, Hispanic votes, the, the worst actually the, the the group that suffers most of are Asian-Americans, and they vote 75 percent Democratic. So he's right. If you stop jacking with the mail-in system and actually count – let people vote by mail and count those ballots, um, he's toast. So that's – yeah, of course he's concerned. And so, that's, in other words, if you let people actually vote. So this is a problem. So there's a battle over that ballot. For example, did you know that in Alabama you have to get your ballot notarized? Right, I've heard Or that. get – Two witness signatures. Missouri, you have to get your ballot notarized. In a lockdown, find a notary. Okay, good, good luck. Now, the U.S. So a federal judge said, this is nuts. People shouldn't have to die to vote in Alabama. He went immediately to the Supreme Court and the uh, the Kavanaugh Court, you know, the, the, the five black robed uh, inquisitors, you know, take off their white hoods, put on their black robes, and they voted 5 4 to say, no, Alabama can indeed have these crazy. Rules for voting. Why am I bringing up Alabama? Because Doug Jones, the Democratic senator, is fighting for his life. So we're also not just talking about a presidency; we're talking about the Senate here. So they're literally trying to make it difficult, impossible, or dangerous to vote. And that, so he actually, the you know, mail-in voting. Unless we change the system and fix it, and take out the Jim Crow element in mail-in voting, uh, he's inaugurated. I told you this in 2016. Did you listen to me, Chuck? I did a film. Okay, so this book is called How Trump Stole 2020. You know, so in other words, I'm trying to make it about as simple as you can get it, okay, so people don't miss. Because I did a film before this 2016 election called The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. Instead of saying, saying wake up. Trump is going to steal 2016. That's what I should have called the film to make it obvious. So this book is called How Trump Stole 2020. So, like, there's no question. And don't forget, the, the polls were about the same. Hillary was ahead of Trump about the, by about the same margin as Biden is ahead of Trump now. So don't go to sleep. Democracy is being stolen. They're not, that's, that's the game.
1: So a lot of people might be blaming Democrats. Why didn't uh, Democrats do something about mail-in voting if this is what cost Hillary the election? Or when it comes to the Electoral College, why didn't the Democrats do something about the Electoral College after 2000 or after 2016? But how much can we blame the Democratic Party for not reforming the electoral system? Is this kind of out of their hands and it's all in the control of the Supreme Court?
2: The answer is, Kind of yes, <laughs> whatever that means to so all your questions. But here's the thing: I have a chapter in How Trump Stole 2020 called "Silence of the Democratic Lambs." And you know, it's look, I can't tell you why Democrats didn't react to the theft of the election in 2000. Remember, this is, you're talking to Greg Pallas. I'm the guy that busted Jeb Bush and Catherine Harris back when. For the for the uh, AARP listeners, uh, Bush won the election because Catherine Harris. Throughout tens of thousands of black men off the voter rolls, saying that they were felons, ex-cons who couldn't vote. Not one. I'm, the, you know, I'm the journalist that that went. I was with the Guardian and BBC Television. I was in London. No American uh, was looking at this. No American journalist. I did, and we ended up finding 58,000 black men were removed from the voter rolls for being ex-cons. Not their only crime. Their only crime was voting while black. Where was the Democratic Party defending those votes? didn't happen. So what's happened now? uh, Why? I don't know. In fact, actually, this is Noam Chomsky. I was talking to him the day before yesterday, and and he is fascinated by uh, his favorite chapter in the book is called California Remen, which is about the massive theft of Bernie Sanders voters this past March. The book is quite fresh. It brings up the uh, it goes through the stories of March. And, um, you know, so the Democrats do it, too. Maybe that's one of the explanations that you can't bust a crime that, while you're in the middle of your own burglary. Uh, but, you know, they were destroying the progressive forces in California and New York. So maybe that's it. But I don't know. Uh, but the main thing is, yeah, it's somewhat out of their hands. It's in your hands. The listeners, listen up, my friends in hell. You can protect your vote uh, the first thing is, the main thing, by the way, the main way people are losing their votes 16.7 million people were removed from the voter rolls in the last two years, Chuck. Again, that's from the government, not Greg Pallas' uh, dream world. 16.7 million voters, 1 in 12, mostly African Americans and especially young voters. Um, you know, if, uh, you, you can check your registration right now online, especially if you're in, in uh, Chicago, you're in Milwaukee. Madison, wherever you're listening, uh, check your registration right now online. I did, and it said, Greg Palace, no such voter. Wow. So, so please check.
1: Jeez. And you're checking in New York or California? What state were you checking
2: in? I'm in the uh, California where, you okay. know, laid-back surfer dudes where they have wiped out, where Bernie Sanders was cheated out of half a million votes. But i got to tell you, the book is about how Trump stole 2020. The Democrats steal from, from each other. The Republicans are smart. They steal from the other party.
1: Yeah, but how much do you think that adds to the whole problem with vote stealing when the Democratic Party has decided to do it? We were talking about this back in 2016 when there were issues mm-hmm. that were happening in Brooklyn, in New York, with the vote counting when it came to Bernie Sanders and how so few voting machines had been sent out to areas where Bernie Sanders voters were likely going to vote. So how much do you think the Democrats are contributing to this problem?
2: Well, that's the problem. They got their hands dirty. But the thing is, they're playing in the shovel with a toy spoon with a plastic, you know, plastic fork. They're they're digging in the dirt, so they're dirty, whereas the Republicans are out there with their bulldozer, (laughs) burying voters, burying votes. And when I say that, for example, you know, look, so while the Democrats are enablers, okay. Maybe we ought to have something called Votanon or something. They're enablers of the vote thieves. But we can cry about that, but, they're, but what we have to do is now make sure that we actually pick this president. And I have to tell you that there's some victories. For example, in Illinois, it was uh, down the, the road from you, the Reverend uh, Jesse Jackson, who is um, um, you know, one of the uh, uh, um, law- people launching my book uh, today with Noam Chomsky and, and – um, Amy Goodman. That's Facebook Live today. uh, It'd be 6 p.m. Chicago time at Greg Palace Investigates. Um, So Jesse Jackson and I began a campaign, which is in the book, to end something called Interstate Crosscheck, created by a guy named Chris Kobach of Kansas. And if you don't remember that, just think KKK. Chris Kobach of Kansas, who's Trump's vote thief in chief, was Secretary of State of Kansas, handed out a list of people he said had voted twice or registered in two different states, and therefore could vote in the same election twice. Now, he didn't have anyone who actually committed this crime, but you'll see in the book, I, asked, I demanded the list from him. Who are these double voters? Who are these evil criminals? He wouldn't give it to me, but you know, if you know Greg Palace, you've seen my fedora. I'm an investigative reporter. I get the stuff. It was a list of 7.2 million people who supposedly voted twice. They had hundreds of thousands in Illinois, and guess who they were? I can give you their names. James Brown, Jose Garcia, David Kim. Are you getting the picture? Okay. So in Illinois, in Illinois and other states, in, in 30 states, they're handing out these hit lists to Republican secretaries of state. And for a while, that included Illinois. And Republic, they, where you had secretaries of state and boards of elections using this hit list, and all it was was common names. But here's the trick, Chuck. 85 of the 100 most common last names in America are minority names: Rodriguez, Garcia, Kim. Um, you know, these are the names: Black, Johnson. I have a chapter called 358 James Browns. In Georgia, they took the list from Kansas and removed 358 guys named James Brown because they found a James Brown, believe it or not, in Motown, in Chicago, in Baltimore, in Houston. They were different middle names, you know, James Thomas Brown, James Edward Brown. In fact, you'll see the list in my book in How Trump Stole 2020 I actually has some screenshots of this hit list. Now, why am I telling you this story? Because we actually shut down that system. We actually, it started the, and the movement started in Chicago with the Reverend Jackson fighting interstate crosscheck. And by the way, one, one thing that helped is he demanded that presidential candidates meet with uh, Reverend Jackson and me with me Greg Pallast, and him only one of the candidates sat down with us um I won't tell you his name except that he he said enough enough with this we will end this <laughs> can you guess so no, you don't get a free book if you
1: guess so wait uh, why all right so you were able to undo crosscheck and we'll get to what yeah. has happened since crosscheck Thanks. but to you what explained the resiliency of cross-check we were talking about it back in 2000 when it wasn't quite called cross-check but it was already a system that had been in place that stole the 2000 election why wasn't that system undermined immediately instead of being expanded and expanded almost to a national basis when chris kobach becomes the voter commission person for the trump administration and tries to employ it across the united states what what explains that resiliency when you proved that it was an inaccurate and very undemocratic system 20 years before.
2: Well, for two two reasons. Number 1, why isn't all of America listening to this is hell? If they did, they would know and the and the game would be and the game would be busted. The other thing was I was working in London for the Guardian and BBC Television which so I put my report on the theft of the 2000 election, the absolute stone cold documentary proof that they had removed you know, Bush won by 537 ballots, became president of the United States after removing 58,000 black men illegally as felons. Again, their only crime was voting while black. Um, and so my reports bounced off the electronic wall, uh, Berlin Wall. I have to tell you, I literally got a call about this from a New York Times reporter at, who was there in 2000 in Florida. And now he's asked me for the names of the people who were purged. Now, the question for you, my question from hell for you, Chuck, is why didn't the New York Times reporter call me 20 years ago when the theft was in operation and uh, Bush had not been named president? So it took 20 years. So I don't want to knock the reporter. They <laughs> did get to the story. It's 20 years later. I asked him what his deadline was <laughs> uh, 20 years ago, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, so that's why I've written How Trump Stole 2020, because you think you're going to read it in the, in the Chicago Tribune. You think you're going to read it. In, 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 And you're not going to – I don't know if you're going to read it in the New, New York Times. Maybe they'll do the – oh. We'll get the 2020 report. They'll, they'll pick up on my 2020 story, how Trump stole 2020 in 2040. Oh, that's
1: going to be great. I'm really looking forward that's to That's what I
2: should, maybe I should, you know, so that's, that's what's going So you're asking why, and I, <laughs> so I brought it to you. It's the fourth estate. In America, we have a media which does not want to talk about race. Remember, the media didn't break the George Floyd story. It was citizen journalists with cell phones in the street. They don't want to talk about race. What do you think, George Floyd was the first guy murdered by cops? No. It's just that, that finally we have a method of going around the American media. And that's key. So how Trump stole 2020 is what you won't see on a national uh, on, on the petroleum broadcast system you know because you, you won't read in the trip
1: because you were mentioning um The racism that's involved. Uh, Secretary of State at the time, Secretary of State Brian Kemp, when he was running against Stacey Abrams, he tells the public that the uh, missing registration forms, uh, hundreds of thousands of missing registration forms arrived. But the people involved in the voter registration drive very smartly had copies of all the forms they uh, sent to the Secretary of State. He said that they had arrived, but just never arrived. They just disappeared. All of these voter registrations that have been formed by Stacey Abrams in this voter registration drive to get her to win. And you write that Kemp responded by threatening to arrest the voter registration leaders, including the founder, Stacey Abrams, for alleged criminal tampering of voter registration forms. That is for copying those forms. So Kemp couldn't disappear them. So, someone who may have very well have illegally tampered with voter registration forms is blaming the person who busted him for tampering with voter registration forms by making copies of them in order to ensure those votes got a chance; those voters got a chance to vote. That kind of ignorance is pretty ignorance. Arrogance is pretty impressive. It's the kind of arrogance you get from people. Seems, okay, yeah. So here's
2: what's do you, do you, when you when you're, you're, you're were,
1: talking about. Hold, hold on, just one second. When you investigate the schemes to stop mm-hmm. people of color, especially black people, from voting. How often do you hear an undertone or even the dog whistles of white supremacy?
2: All the time, every time. Why do you think, okay, I busted Brian Kemp, the Secretary of State of Georgia, uh, who was running against Stacey Abrams for governor. Stacey Abrams, the first black woman to ever run for uh, governor of an American sta- uh, state. He, one of the tricks that you mentioned, when people sent in, uh, Stacey Abrams had a, a voting. Uh, uh, voter Protection Organization, which had uh, registered about 40,000 young uh, voters, mostly African-American and Hispanic. And they just said, these forms don't exist. Brian Kemp took the forms and deep-sixed them. And they said, well, we made photocopies. So, hey, if you lost them, here they are. They said, you made photocopies? It's against the law. So they threatened them with arrest, but it didn't shut down Stacey Abrams, who fought. She still, by the way, That was 2014. I went to Atlanta for Al Jazeera. Again, uh, I had to go to terrorist TV in order to be able to report the story, right? Um, So I'm down uh, for Al Jazeera, and then later I returned for Rolling Stone magazine. And and that's when they didn't put in the forms – by 18, when she ran for governor, four years later, they still hadn't entered the names on the voter rolls. They said they didn't have the clerical help. Then another group, I have a chapter in How Trump Stole 2020 called Voting Gangnam Style, where, same story, the, um, t- a group called 10,000 Koreans Vote. And for 10,000 Koreans vote to vote in Georgia, you have to have 10,000 Koreans register. So they registered about 4,000 folks, and sent in the forms to Brian Kemp, and once again, he pulled the same trick. Oh, these, they didn't see their voters on the voter rolls. They called up, where's our voters? Kemp's office said, you, there are no such registration forms. They so, said, well, we have photocopies. Within hours, the Georgia version of the FBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, kicks in the door of the Korean-American vote registration group, kicks in the door, takes their computers, Threatens everyone with uh, felony charges. The felony charges hung over this group's head for two years. They went out of business. That stopped the registration of Korean American voters, in particular in the sixth congressional district, so that the Republican squeaked by winning that congressional seat because they removed. This is the center of the Korean com- uh, Korean American community in Georgia. Um, they re- they didn't allow people of a certain Asian persuasion to vote. That's the game. And literally using these tactics, literally threatening people with arrests, seizing their machines, throwing away their registration. And then that's not good enough, Chuck. The, the book opens up when I'm in Georgia and they removed 340,000 voters from the voter rolls. This is The other trick that they took out for a test drive in 18, went national. A third of a million voters removed illegally. How do I know that? Because I had experts go through the list name by name and one of the names... One of the people who was removed from the voter rolls was Christine Jordan, 92 years old, voting in the same place for 50 years. They threw her out and said, you're not registered here.
1: This also leads to what is taking place in Ohio. So you had a situation with Brian Kemp in Georgia where he is the Secretary of State, and he obviously has a direct impact on who gets to vote and who does not. Here in Ohio, there's a, or in Ohio, they have same situation with a John Husted, who is the Secretary of State. So uh, right. how politicized, how partisan are you allowed to make the Secretary of State's office? Can holding that office... Not only determine who wins elections, but is that determination is that legal?
2: Um, well, when you're the when you got the badge, see that's the wonderful thing about vote theft. When you if when you commit the crime, if you succeed, you've also taken control of the voting police. Who's going to bust you? Who's going to bust Trump? Bill Barr? Who's going to bust this operation? So what happened is, yeah. Of wiping out voters, they eliminated, are you ready, eight hundred thousand voters in Ohio before the 16 election. Now they've just removed another two hundred thousand. They removed a third of a million in Georgia, which should be a swing state. It's a white minority state these days. They have to steal the black vote, otherwise they can't win. In Wisconsin, now I have to tell you here we have an unusual situation. Do you know that the the elections board of Wisconsin has actually asked me if I can provide the information about their purge list? The Republicans handed them a purge list, them because the Democrats won in 18, despite all the trickery in Wisconsin, the Democrats took the state house and the secretary of state's office in, in, um, in 18, but they were left with a Republican legislature, Scott Walker, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the Koch's little glove puppet, signed a law saying you have to remove voters on a list of people who've moved. Now, who came up with this voter move list? Um, it was, it's been imposed by them by a group of right-wing billionaires who've, who have a, um, an organization suing the state of Wisconsin to require them to remove 150,000 people who've moved. Okay, well, look, Chuck, if you've moved out of Milwaukee, you shouldn't be voting in Milwaukee. So I looked at their list. I went to, flew to Milwaukee. I talked to Sequana Taylor, who is on the list, who moved, they said, moved out of Milwaukee. I said, did you move out of Milwaukee? You shouldn't be voting here. And she said, I don't think I moved out of Milwaukee. I'm Milwaukee County Supervisor. But she is guilty of voting while black. That's how the the game works. So is, guilty of voting law black.
1: Is the problem of voter suppression are the ones who are working hardest to not allow Americans the right to vote? are prime movers of anti-democracy in the U.S. You mentioned billionaires, and it always, and it has, and you've pointed to it for 20 years on our show, points back to the Koch brothers, now down to only one Koch brother, Charles, as David is currently on a cruise of the River Styx. If not for the uh, Koch brothers, how much voter suppression do you think there would be? Would there be somebody, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm saying from the very beginning, would there have been another Koch brothers?
2: Yes, in Wisconsin, uh, famously, the Koch brothers um, had their uh, fingers in the um, in the Scott Walker glove pu- puppet. But the main danger right now is the uh, the, the Bradley family. These are ultra right wing billionaires who owned, of course, Bradley Manufacturing in Milwaukee, the biggest employer, which they shut down and sent off to China, um, and they they sold off their operations uh, so it could be and shut them down. They took the billion, a billion dollars of their gain, and put it into a fund to basically keep Wisconsin, uh, keep Wisconsin Republican red. So they are. So it's billionaires. And why are the billionaires behind it? By the way, there's a third brother, Billy. There's Billy Koch. Let's not forget the third uh, um, billionaire in this pile. So if you didn't have David and Charles, don't forget you would have Billy. Now, Billy. Coke, who's worth about $7 billion, um, Billy Coke used to get a little bit tipsy and call up this reporter and rat on his brothers. He used to talk about all their felony crimes committed by David and Charles, per- literally their purchase of politicians and, and their uh, what is really a crime spree. Uh, the reporter that he called was me in London and I happen to have my tape recorder on and so you get some of that in the book. And why is this important? Because vote number one, vote suppression, as they call it, vote stealing is not cheap. Someone's got to come up with that money. Second, um, there's a reason why people steal votes and it's not to steal elections. Chuck, it's not to steal elections. The Koch brothers are not Republicans, just so you know, never were. Um, and um, rather, it's to steal the money, to get a hold of the government, the treasury, the loot, the rules, the cash, the control of the tax system. That's what it's about. It's not about – so it's what do they want. In the case of Billy Koch, I have a whole, uh, whole chapter on him called uh, – there's a chapter called Fall the Chainsaw. Um, what Billy Koch wanted was he needed the XL pipeline because he needs filth. He's a filth salesman. Now, no, he's not. Doesn't sell pornography. Worse, he sells petroleum coke. Petroleum coke is is this crud that they pull out of the XL pipeline. They stack it up in Detroit. It's like hard. It's hardened oil. It's so filthy. It's tar from the tar sands that come through the XL pipeline, and he sells that gunk. It has to be pulled out of the pipeline because the pipe the oil won't flow if it. It just jams up. So they pull it out. It's too filthy to burn in the U.S. in our power plants. So he sends it to China, where it heats the same planet's air. Okay? So he's a filth salesman. He's the number one um, climate uh, criminal in America. And he's the first billionaire to put his money behind Donald Trump, behind Agent Orange, because he needed the XL pipeline Extension the XL Keystone pipeline to be approved, and Trump was hostile to it because remember it is foreign oil, them Canadians you know them foreign Canadians just selling us oil he didn't like it, but with Billy Koch's money, he suddenly became the the pipeline's um, date <laughs> agent Orange and one of the first things he did in office was approve it, overcome the uh, Environmental Protection Agency and simply order its uh, this uh, uh, filth hose down from
1: Canada. But now it's been stopped by the Supreme Court and the Petro Coke that you mentioned in Detroit, uh, because I'm from mm-hmm. there and I'm very aware of what was happening there uh, the citizens were not told about that Petro Coke. It just showed up one day on the Detroit River shore so people were very upset in Detroit about it. It's much like you told me in the mm-hmm. past nobody ever uh, what nobody ever voted on neoliberalism neoliberalism just happened. There was no vote so how can you... Yeah,
2: well, uh, yeah that,
1: that's important
2: we there's a reason why we want Americans to actually choose their leaders. Well, one, cuz if you don't choose your if you're if you're under the control of people you didn't choose, by definition, you're a slave, okay? So, th- I'm talking the whole point of my book How Trump Stole 2020 is to kind of foment a slave uprising. We you know, we're going to take charge again. So that's what we're talking about. You're you're right, and it's about it's what happens to you when you don't have your choice. When you don't pick the leaders, the money picks the leaders. In Georgia, for example, Brian Kemp wasn't elected. Stacey Abrams cited my investigation of 340,000 voters removed illegally. And by the way, that woman, that 92-year-old woman I told you about, that's Martin Luther King's cousin that they took the vote away from. The papers covered my story when I had her on camera, but they didn't cover the other 340,000 people of color who lost their votes. They, they, nice human interest story.
1: So, uh, Greg, how can they purge again? How is the vote being attempted to be stolen again if they don't have cross-check? Without cross-check, are they still pursuing the same strategy?
2: Yeah. Okay. It's, it's all a system. What I discovered in 2000, since the computerization of voter rolls, which began with Florida that year, this is why things have... This is what, so Jim Crow basically has – is now Dr. James Crow, database analyst. Every voter roll now by federal law must be computerized for the purpose of removing voters in mass. Okay, So interstate cross-check was K, Mr. KKK's system of picking out voters who supposedly are registered in two states because they're named James Brown or Jose Garcia. But there's all kinds of variants on that game. I told you in 2000, the variation was, was looking for supposed um, felon voters. For example, Willie Steen, who I put on camera. You'll meet him in the book. Um, Willie Steen, uh, a young African-American, Gulf War veteran, working in a hospital. He can't have a felony record if you work in a hospital. He was removed because he was supposedly a felon, because he was matched with a white guy named Willie Osteen, of Ohio, I kid you not. Willie Steen was matched with Willie Osteen of Ohio. Now, how do they know that Willie Steen of Florida was black? Because it says B L A next to his name on the registration records. Every black person in Florida has B L A next to their name on the voter registration records. Okay, that's how it works. They're not guessing here. And so they did the the felon thing. Then they did your voting in two states. Then they say like Saquana Taylor, the you you've moved out of Milwaukee. They they tell the black supervisor of milwaukee county um and then they it's all variations of something i would call purge by postcard um and in 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 georgia and in ohio and in in 30 other states gop controlled states mostly they're saying if you didn't vote They call you an inactive voter. Chuck, that doesn't mean you've been sitting on the couch eating potato chips instead of going to the gym. An inactive voter is someone who's missed one or two elections, and therefore they say if you missed a couple elections, now understand you can't lose your vote for not voting. This is America. You have the right to vote or not vote. It says so in the federal law. It literally says in the law you can't lose your vote for not voting. It's in federal law. But they are saying, oh, we're not removing people for not voting. We're removing them because if they didn't vote, it must have meant that they moved away. So we send them a postcard. If they don't respond to the postcard, they've moved. That's how Sequana Taylor lost her vote because she moved down the street. You don't have to re-register in Milwaukee. But she didn't get the postcard, so they removed her. And I've got to tell you, 74% of the list, we've gone through every name, are people who didn't move out of their neighborhood, or they didn't move at all. We had forty thousand people who didn't move at all. In Atlanta in Georgia a third of a million people who the states that had moved were right there. I'm talking to them. I'm looking at them. I'm not guessing. I had the number one experts in the nation, who are they, the people who work for Amazon and ebay and the rest, they agreed to go through the voter rolls of Georgia. And they said, Here's the name here's the names and addresses. We're not sampling. Names and addresses of people who never moved. There they are. Mrs. Uh, Martin Luther King's 92-year-old cousin, she's lived in the same house nearly a century since her birth. This is the game. But it's always a way to pick out voters of color, young people.
1: That's how it works. Now, how far do you think that, that ending that institutional racism, how far do you think that would go toward addressing larger racial issues like the uprising against racialized police violence?
2: Everything. I was... I was just talking to the, uh, well, Latasha Brown, uh, who will be at, in my uh, live tonight at um, 6 p.m. Central. Um, okay. He's head of Black Voters Matter. He said, Look, if you can't choose your government, you can't choose your police. It goes together. And in fact, if you have to remember, as I said, you, if you don't pick your leaders, you're a slave. So what it is, is, is putting down the possibility of a slave revolt. Remember that police departments literally were begun in America as slave hunting posses. That were the first police uh, you know, government police action and agencies were to hunt down runaway slaves and keep control of slaves. So this is a long history. So the entire concept of policing in America is based on racism. So, but if we choose our leaders, we can change it. That really makes a a a big difference, Chuck, and and we'll also be a little bit richer because then and a little bit healthier. You know, we'll live a little bit longer. You know, when Billy Coke got Trump to agree to uh, approve the XL pipeline, if they burn all that tar sands in Alberta, Canada, where they're bringing down oil, um, if Billy Coke gets to burn all that stuff and sell it, yes, he'll make a few more billion, but. We will increase the planet's temperature by two and a half degrees Fahrenheit just from that one oil field Jesus and that's what Billy Coke is bringing us so that's why we have to fix this and behind it all they get away with it because it's race you know and that's you know it when I busted the story of, of calling black men felons in 2000 Florida not only did we not get America's fourth estate to pick it up or the white Worth of state I should say while this New York Times reporter the white reporter didn 't mention my story, Bob Herbert, the african American columnist, reported my story from BBC so if the white if you don 't get white coverage that 's a big you know that 's the number one problem we have, not the lack of exposure. So when you go after black people, there's always kind of a suspicion it's kind of their fault, isn't it? In other words, you blame George Floyd for his own death. He choked himself to death. He he provoked the cops, like Rodney King. And remember, I'm here in Los Angeles. In his first trial, he was literally let off. The The jury was looking at footage of a guy handcuffed, face down on the street. He's being beaten with clubs and kicked. And they're saying... And they let the cops off the hook because, obviously, he was provoking the cops face down on the pavement, handcuffed. So, But this happens with voters. They're saying, oh, well, black people don't know how to vote. They script. No, 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 no. When I spoke to the head of the ACLU of Georgia last week, she said, she asked for her mail-in ballot and her husband's mail-in ballot 45 days before the election on June 9, the primary. Her husband got a ballot on June 10th. When you saw those lines in Georgia, it's because, not because black people, and remember, it's all black people that you saw in those lines, those long lines in Georgia, waiting four hours to vote. It's not because black people like to stand in the humid rain, the humid rain in Atlanta that day and get a virus. It's that Almost everyone we spoke to in that line said that they asked for a mail-in ballot and never got it. Chuck, you know what? If you don't get your mail-in ballot, you can't mail it back in. (laughs) And about 1 in 10 people who request ballots don't get them. Can you guess their
1: color? Yeah, and then as you were pointing out earlier, and then 1 in 5 of those that actually do get sent in, aren't counted anyway, so you're down to a very small percentage of what is actually being
2: counted. I mean, it, and crazy cockamamie stuff. I know that there's a lot of bad jokes in how Trump stole 2020, because I have to make it so that you're not in tears. I don't want right. these you know, dark—there's You know, there's no point in making you cry for 300 pages. So there's a lot of dark, bad humor that I know that, that your listeners uh, might enjoy. There's also, for those of you who, are, who went to Chicago public schools and may struggle with the book— uh, there is a 48-page comic book in the middle, wow, <laughs> which really retells the book's story in a very in a, in a brilliant way by the wickedly uh, uh, brilliant uh, uh, investigative cartoonist Ted Rall. So yeah. we have the 48-page comic book in the middle. Yeah, Ted I also Rall. Also have go ahead. Yeah, and I also have for comic relief an, an attempted interview with Brian Kemp, oh, sweet of Georgia. Um, and uh, another interview I do have with Stacey Abrams, but with Brian Kemp, it, uh, the interview is pretty funny. There's, there's mostly photos because um, he was hiding from me, and uh, he wouldn't uh, talk to me. You know, and I've got my camera. So I hunted him. Unlike American reporters, I don't take no comment. I'm not allowed to by British standards. You have to get the comment. Yeah. So I had to hunt Brian down. Now. He could hide, but he did have a bus that said Kemp for president uh, Kemp, excuse me, Kemp for governor in like four foot high letters so he was pretty easy to track down got the bus followed him to noon in Georgia and waited for him underneath a pig that is there was a neon pig sign for this uh, barbecue joint <laughs> and I try to ask him are you stealing the vote um, are, are you are you removing black voters from the voter rolls to steal this election um, and <laughs> Um, his response was to have me arrested. It was a catch-and-release operation. You know, they just got me out of there. And I said, are you arresting any other reporters? No, just you. <laughs> oh, man.
1: All right. So that's <laughs> they an- don't like you. <laughs> that's another great thing that you can find in Greg's book. We've been speaking with investigative reporter Greg Powell. He's author of the new book, How Trump Stole 2020, The Hunt for America's Vanished Voters. Join Greg today on Facebook Live at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Mountain, 4 p.m. Pacific for the launch of How Trump Stole 2020. The event will feature discussion with Greg Amy Goodman and Noam Chomsky. Special guest Latasha Brown of Black Voters Matter will also be explaining joining them to explain how the racially poisonous vote stealing schemes exposed in Greg's book have a devastating effect on communities of color. You can find out more about Greg by going to his web- website gregpalace.com and you can follow Greg on Twitter at greg Un- underscore palace before i ask you the question from hell first of all sir congratulations to you and lenny i'm sure you you got the golden uh, tea set that i sent you so i really uh, I'm
3: sure you're <laughs> thank enjoying. you
2: yes yes my uh, my bride uh miss bad penny uh <laughs> we're almost at our one year anniversary by the way for this is hell listeners if you can pick up the book this week how trump stole 2020 and i'm serious for this is good a special one for this is hell listeners send a, a note to me like a screenshot or little receipt with your cell phone shot or something like that to audiobook at greg com. audiobook at greg dot com and this week while I still have the rights to it I'll send you the audiobook for free to how trump stole 2020 and again we can unsteal it. it's it's past tense that he stole, so we still have time to unsteal it.
1: Right. We really do. And one last thing, uh, of course, as we finish all of our conversations, the question from hell the question we hate to ask, you might hate to answer. Our audience is going to hate your response. Breaking this morning, Business Insider was reporting that Facebook is rolling out labels to all posts that involve voting that come from elected officials and candidates, the company said this morning. The point of the label, a representative said, is to provide a direct link to clear information on voting. I know your focus is on elections, but how much of a negative impact do you think social media can have on voter turnout? Are our concerns over social media's impact on voting in any way exaggerated considering the voter theft that you cover and reveal?
2: Well, the one thing, Zuckerman didn't remove Mrs. Jordan from the voter rolls. Uh, You know, it's not the Russians. It's not Facebook. let's, Let's cut this crap. Okay, we we have a operation run by our elected officials. I'm not. Look, if anyone takes, goes to Facebook for their news and information, um, you know, then it's your own fault. You know, if you hit yourself on the head with a hammer, yes, it's going to be painful. I can't stop you. So if you keep going to Facebook and hitting your brain with this gunk, and (laughs) excuse me, I am doing a Facebook live tonight, aren't I? (laughs) Yeah,
1: nice move.
2: Slick. But it's, okay, so I'm giving you a warning. And so even Greg Palace should have a warning label. Okay? But it's our officials. It's our government. It's not Zuckerberg, which is stealing the votes of black people and brown people and Asian Americans and young people. It's the people we put in charge. Zuckerberg didn't put them in charge. In fact, I have a, a chapter called Russian to Judgment. You know, it's not some pimply kid in Moscow, it's not, you know, a couple. Facebook ads by some oligarch in Russia, Clinton spent a billion and a half on ads. No, 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 no. This is about Jim Crow in the voting system, and I'm just not panicked about Zuckerberg and whatever crazy's on there. I think you just put a big stamp when you go to Facebook.com. Just, maybe there should be a pop up screen that said, caution. Crazies inside That's all
1: <laughs> And problem solved <laughs> Greg, thank you so much For being back on the show It's been far too long And I'll be bugging you In the very near future To have you back on the show Greg Pallas is the author Of the new book How Trump Stole 2020 The Hunt for America's Vanished Voters Join Greg today On Facebook Live At 7 p.m. Eastern 6 p.m. Central 5 p.m. Mountain 4 p.m. Pacific For the launch Of How Trump Stole 2020 And remember You can find out more About Greg By going to Greg Thank you so much for being on our show this week And our Patreon uh, Special podcast that we are doing For our subscribers this week Is going to feature our very first interview That we ever did with you From back in December of 2000 So thank you very much for being the person Who uh, really helped us get our name on the map Because we were the first U.S. media outlet To actually feature the work of Greg Palace. So thank you so much for everything That you've done for our show I truly appreciate it, Greg And again, congratulations to you and Lenny Thank
2: you so much. And I'm going to join your Patreon, because I'd like to get a copy of that. All
1: right, then. <laughs> I'll send it I'm to curious. you.
2: I'm curious. All right. Okay. No, no, no. I'll
1: joining your Patreon. Okay, uh, bye. All right, bye. Keeping it real, real deep in debt, since 1996, this is hell. And if you want to help us climb out of debt, you can subscribe to tomorrow's Patreon podcast at patreon.com slash thisishell. During the moment of truth in a few minutes, Jeff Dorchin will examine the accident site of a collision of two hashtags. And we're going to have the rest of your answers to this week's question from Al. Five or right after Jeff, again, our... question from hell for this week is, what is next week's PSYOP? What is next week's PSYOP? The winner gets a This Is Hell medical face mask. You can find that face mask right now by going to thisishell.com when you click on support on Patreon tomorrow, live at patreon.com thisishell at 10 a.m. Central Daylight Time and podcast shortly after. Yes, we are playing our very first interview, the very first interview with Greg Palace by any media outlet in the United States, which was our first interview with Greg way back in 2000, shortly after the presidential election just as greg was breaking the news that the vote had been stolen by F- florida's secretary of state by vetting 57,000 voters who were legally eligible to vote from the voting rolls also on tomorrow's show uh who knows what i'll be talking about i know i don't my girlie has to go to the office today for a meeting so maybe i'll trip i'm a few years behind in my annual tune-up and if That's the case. Yeah, I have no idea what I'll be talking about tomorrow, but you can only hear whatever my drug addled mind comes up with between now and tomorrow and the first ever interview by any U.S. media outlet with Greg Palace by subscribing to This Is Hell on Patreon at patreon.com slash this is hell. If you do become a subscriber, not only do you get this is hell subvertising stickers, a special secret code that gets you five bucks off of all this is hell merch and we thank every new subscriber during the patreon podcast so subscribe to our weekly friday patreon only podcast there's over 250 of them and they will all be unlocked as soon as you sign up by the way if you are a subscriber we announced the uh, tentative date for next year's this is hell 25th anniversary party so if you subscribe you get information about the show before Anyone else does. Speaking of thanking people, we want to thank all those other people who show their support for This Is Hell this week. Thanks to Joshua, Neil, Thor, Michael, Cherish, and the tithing-like commitment of Kilter. Coming up during the moment of truth. With Jeff Georgian, Jeff examines the accident of a collision of two hashtags. We'll also have the rest of your answers to this week's question from Hell. Announce our uh, favorite and the winner of the This Is Hell face mask. And find out from Alex, who's on next week's show. Keep in mind, a lot of the questions I asked this week were written while I was high. This is Hell. I know you have. Have a I'm the One, line. two,
0: you!
3: Okay. Hashtag Goy Away. Welcome to the moment of truth, the thirst that is the beverage. The CEO of Goya Foods, until recently a popular brand, if not the most popular among Latinx consumers, praised Donald Trump as if to say, I have no idea who buys our products and even less what they care about and even less than that why I should care what they care about, so I'll just add the most offensive thing I can come up with into the public discourse, dragging the company name down with me. And it worked like a charm. An instant ferocious boycott was initiated, and in sympathy with the boycott, the hashtag goyaway came about. It's a play on "Go Away," I think. Goy away. To me, it sounds like a brand of Gentile repellent. Like something you would spray on yourself before going outside to keep a mob of late 19th century Polish peasants from coming to burn down your shtetl. Something to keep priests from landing on you and sucking your blood. A shield in the war on Christmas. I recently had an interaction with a Jew who treated the word Goy as if it were the N word or at best, equivalent to the derogatory shin word for black person in Yiddish. Goyim, though, is the Hebrew word for Gentiles. It is in the Torah, where its literal translation is nations, that is, the nations other than the Jews. Goy is not a bad word, as much as Anglophone Ashkenazi dabblers in Yiddish might beg to differ. It's interesting, because the day after Goy away was first trending, the hashtag Jewish privilege also started trending, and Jews on Twitter claimed it, turned it on its head, and used it as a label for their own stories of anti-Jewish oppression. I've had a great deal of contact with ghetto, labor, death camp, and death march survivors, so I was familiar with a lot of the material, but some of it being killed in Ethiopia for being Jewish. Jumping from a death camp train to uncertain danger, but at least alive. Getting stabbed in front of your house in Odessa. Getting pennies thrown at you on the bus not even too long ago. Some stories were outside the Elie Wiesel model or the Vilna ghetto narratives or the mass executions and mass live incinerations with which I was more familiar. There are so many ways to harass, torture, and kill a Jew. You'd think they'd all been attempted by now. And maybe they have. But the well-played hits and the deep cuts alike keep coming. I'll just remind you briefly of the Tree of Life synagogue massacre. I've also heard on-air journalists refer to Jewish synagogues as if there were another kind. That's its own kind of massacre. Other than that, we're used to the swastika graffiti and broken windows fair common in Europe and the U.S., much as Muslims have gotten used to hatred directed at them in similar regions. Speaking of Muslims, you'd think Jews would have learned after centuries of persecution, and especially in the immediate aftermath of the Holocaust in Europe, not to take away a people's homes and sequester them within ghettos. Is it debatable how much choice they had? Well, in light of the undying durability of the debate, I suppose you could argue that it is. Nevertheless, there are reasonable Jews everywhere who want an end to the occupation. Yes, even in Israel. They're called self-hating Jews by the hardline white right-wingers and suspected of being too forgiving of IDF excesses by the identity politics wielding left. I did a couple of moments of truth back in July of 2017 on the Chicago Dyke March dust-up where I mused on this conundrum. Is a Jew who is not for the abandonment and dismantling of Israel, where actual people live now, unfortunately, a pure enough leftist to participate in the virtue theater engaged in by what passes for revolutionaries these days? Shouldn't Jews just shut the hell up when their synagogues are vandalized during Black Lives Matter protests, most likely by opportunists who value no one's lives particularly much? And the Jews who blame BLM for allowing it to happen— Are they at all interested in black lives or only in making noise about their own worries and making sure another example of anti-Jewish hate is entered into the hate logbook? I will say that the graffiti I saw in my neighborhood on conspicuously Jewish buildings wasn't anti-Jewish per se, but anti-oppression of Palestinians by Israel. Is it anti-Semitic to spray paint down with Israel on a synagogue? The answer is too complicated for the kind of debate we engage in on Twitter, but it's definitely not no. Nor does a simple yes sufficiently explain the significance of the act. Whose fault is it that the consequences of the worst aspects of Israeli politics spill over onto Jewish bystanders? Bystanders? Some with deeply held moral revulsion for the Israeli government and its abuses of human rights. One idiot of color tried to say that Jewish privilege and white privilege were the same thing. He had to be taught that many, many Jews are not white. There are black Jews, Iranian Jews, some who have a synagogue in my neighborhood, South Asian Jews, Chinese Jews. Educate yourself, I'd like to say. Think less simplistically. Very often Jews do shut up when the rhetoric heats up because to chime in is bound to be perceived as equally unwelcome as mansplaining or white splaining. whitesplaining, splaining It's real. But as a diagnosis, it can also be a cudgel to stifle discussion. Think about white people for a second, won't you? I know you're not often asked to do so. When they hear blanket statements about white people like all white people would gladly believe a black friend guilty of a crime when the chips are down, or white people are virtually 0% likely to suffer from police violence, a true comrade will listen. They won't say, not all white people, or what about white people in poverty? but rather register the harsh statement as an honest expression of the speaker's genuine pain. Pain at having to shoulder the burden of the legacy of hundreds of years of slavery, exploitation, theft of resources, occupation, and endocolonialism, and just plain being policed in the most grotesquely violent and dehumanizing ways imaginable. But an honest good-faith comrade might also wonder, is it not dehumanizing and patronizing to assume the speaker has been so damaged by hate and rage that I'm doing them a favor by not offering my voice. Wouldn't a hearty, that seems a mite simplistic, or where do your statistics come from, be preferable? Most of the time, a wise person of any ethnicity will keep their own counsel when bumping up against this ambivalent feeling. Because angry people are no fun to try to reason with, no matter what the subject is. Some people get angry when discussions of race or gender or sexual orientation distract from what otherwise would be clear-cut class explanations of power inequality. There are people of all races, genders, and sexual orientations who feel that if we could all agree that curing capitalism's worship of property and wealth was the basic job of the revolution, it would go a long way across lines of identity to hobbling one kind of people's ability to suppress another kind. But there are others who get frustrated when the specific awfulness of the way their kind of people have been treated like garbage is glossed over with class explanations, and that the villainy of white people or Han Chinese people or Anglo-Saxon people or Israel must be acknowledged if justice is to be accurately described by its contrast with injustice. You have to admit, all these ways of being angry have a lot to offer. If we didn't worship property and ownership in the capitalist way we're indoctrinated to, we wouldn't need to give cops such excessive power to protect property's sacredness. But if we don't acknowledge that the Bruna police abuse of authority falls disproportionately on black people, how can we avoid the accusation that our critique is missing something urgent happening right in front of our eyes? On the Goya front, Some have mentioned that Goya makes a point to give to charitable concerns battling hunger in the U.S. A million cans of garbanzo beans. That's one million people with a can of garbanzo beans each. Or two million people sharing a can between each of them. Uh, Such charity invites the question. Is it enough? Obviously not. We still have food insecurity here in the richest nation in the history of the world and things are getting worse thanks to the pandemic. Meanwhile, right in front of our eyes, and not just the general us but the Latinx us in particular, President Dump's actions have separated Mexican and Central and South American children from their families and allowed an unconscionable number of U.S. citizens who just happen to live in the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico to go for literally years without disaster aid. And the CEO of Goya... This garbanzo bean distributing corporation that wants credit for its giving has the gall, the myopia, and the tin ear to announce that we are blessed to have the leadership of a man at whose feet an estimated 65,000 extra deaths due to COVID-19, the reality of which he denied for months, can be laid, including members of some of those same families separated and warehoused at the border. It's becoming important to admit what's going on around you not just to perform goodness and then argue after the fact that people should be grateful. If people see they're being shafted in greater numbers year after year, your half-assed charitable donations, which leaves the, the evil shafting mechanism untouched, to shaft and shaft again is just a shell game. And the great thing about Black Lives Matter is they demand real change to the system that's shafting them. And in doing so, they shed light on the ways it shafts us all. Uh, There's no easy way to wrap up these strands of thought and action, and meanwhile, while these loose ends and these loose threads are blowing around in the wind, the necessity to wrench control of the ship of civilization out of the hands of the captains of capital becomes more urgent as we creep closer and closer to the end of whatever this human species has been all about for all these millennia. And looked at in this way... With the approaching destruction of huge numbers of our species, if not the entirety, due to homelessness, war, famine, and disease, it becomes obvious the economic system so except among <clears throat> the economic system so accepting of poverty needs to be eliminated. It needs to be eliminated. It needed to be eliminated a long time ago. We've accepted it for thousands of years, and now we're all about to be as poor as you can get. Because as I've said before. You can't get poorer than dead and you can't get deader than extinct. This has been the moment of truth. Good day.
1: Brilliant. My friend, I got to get going cause I have air conditioning to bring upstairs and acid. To okay. Drop, so,
3: you know, I just think that when you're doing stuff like that and you think mm. about your arm and you think about your teeth and mm. you think about your guts and you think about your hair or whatever yeah. is going to happen. Um, Probably best not to tempt God by saying that it, that he he should prove that it's not his favorite radio station. I'm just saying.
1: Oh, Jeffy, I really appreciate your advice, and I'll be ignoring it for the rest of the weekend. Excellent. I
3: <laughs> love you, brother, and stay
1: beautiful. You too. Bye. Live from lands stolen from the Potawatomi people, this is Hell. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap radio show host, blah, 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 Chuck Mertz, producing Alex Jerry. This week's question from Hell is, what is next week's PSYOP? The person with our favorite answer Wednesday. this is Hell medical face mask, which you can see right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. Alex, how are the rest of our listeners answering this week's question from Hell?
0: Uh, what is next week's PSYOP? Joshua L. says, constant happy whistling as if everyone is whistling and working. <laughs> KCC says, the YMCA is harvesting young adrenal glands and delivering them to wealthy elites through DoorDash and Uber Eats. <laughs> Justin M. says, COVID-19 was developed by mater- by environmental scientists to curb global population and mitigate climate change. The real Ghislaine Maxwell was replaced in October 1991 by one of the shape-shifting alien overlords in order to corrupt and entrap potential savior of humanity, Jeffrey Epstein. Tide Pods are Russian mind control devices. Also, Chuck is a narcotics agent. That is spectacular. That is a really good answer. Uh, two more uh, via DM. Oh, sorry. Uh, At more via Twitter said they remove all they remove all the LSD from our water supply. <laughs> and finally, via DM, Fred Bow says Joe Biden naming Hillary Clinton as his VP pick.
1: I I, I really liked uh, when Casey said Y M C A is harvesting young adrenal glands. Blah 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 blah. He then offered this commentary. What's hilarious is how people think these global conspiracies are always leaving these clues everywhere. Bilderberg, we will secretly conspire for world domination. Illuminati, but we'll leave clues everywhere for weirdos to figure it all out. The Masons, well, yeah, of course we'll leave clues. Duh. So I liked Casey's response. I love J- uh, Justin's. Kev said Trump takes the knee for the national anthem. John's saying that the PSYOP is same as this week, Lightfoot versus the Chicago police, which is not very much a confrontation in any way. Uh, Christian saying, what the F does that sink want now? Which was pretty clever. I liked... Jeff also mentioning how toilets inexplicably falling out of windows and narrowly missing members of the Chicago Board of Trade and via DM uh, from Fredbo, as you were saying, Joe Biden naming Hillary Clinton as his VP pick. Any uh, favorites there, Alex? I'll let you pick this one. I'm going to take Casey because he also had the commentary as well. So, Casey, you are the winner of this week's question from hell. You have one of This Is Hell medical face Mask. If you are not today's winner, you can still get your This Is Hell face mask by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support where you can find our entire store of stuff. Alex, who's on the show next week?
0: Uh, so starting on Monday, we have Julian Brave Noisecat to talk about. He's back on the show to awesome. talk about his Atlantic piece. The McGirt case is a historic win for Tribes. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, still working on it, hoping to uh, book Gerald Horn there. And then Thursday, we just booked uh, Ben Aaron Wright, who will be back on the show to talk about his book, Desert Notebooks, a roadmap for the end of time.
1: We start every week's live streaming shows here at ThisIsHell.com with Alex revealing this week's Hangover Cure. And this week's Hangover Cure was... Watermelon. Thanks to all of this week's guests, including criminologist Brendan McQuaid, who wrote the Jacobin article, The Camden Model is Not a Model, It's an Obstacle to Real Change. This is Brendan's second appearance on This Is Hell, and you can listen to our interview with him about his book, Pacifying the Homeland, Intelligence, Fusion, and Mass Surveillance, by going to thisishell.com and searching on his last name, McQuaid. Also thanks to Marquise Bay, author of Anarcho-Blackness, Notes Toward a Black Anarchism, Marquise's book, Them Goon Rules was selected last year as one of our Favorite books to be featured on the show In 2019 and you can hear that 2019 interview as well as This week's interview by going to Thisishell.com and also thanks To today's guest Greg Palast Author of the new book How Trump Stole 2020 The Hunt for America's Vanished Voters you can find out more about Greg At gregpalast.com Talk to you tomorrow on Patreon when we will be Playing our very first interview with Greg Uh, The first interview Greg did with any U.S. based media outlet way back in 2000 When he was busy busting Florida for stealing the 2000 presidential election Which the Democrats eventually allowed them to do And which the Supreme Court decided they could do But in a move without precedent Concluded that Bush v. Gore could not be used as precedent And now we're in a permanent war on terror Really, is there anything the Republicans can't do? There's only one way to get over all of the problems that we've introduced to you on this week's show. That's by sitting down in the lotus position, turning your palms towards the sky, focusing on that burning white dot in the middle of your forehead, and saying the simple words, Everybody's stupid.
3: My demon is on my butt. Uh. My demon talks to me in profanity like a Uh sailor. And my demon tries to knock me down. And my demon tries to put me on a hell ride.